Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming to the Lord's table and focusing afresh on the fact that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had indeed left a crimson stain, but you washed it white as snow. Thank you for that. And pray now that as we open the Bible, that you, Holy Spirit, would come and take the Word of God and give us understanding to make application to our lives to the glory of your name and the extension of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 2, going through this passage, verse 42 and following. Right after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The people heard the message of the crucified, resurrected Christ through whom there is forgiveness of sins. They were baptized. 3,000 were added to the church that day, and this is the aftermath. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon them all, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it says they were seized with awe, and I've said the last few weeks that awe is the fact that we are gloriously overwhelmed by the understanding of the reality of who God is expressed in the person and work of Christ, overwhelmed by the tender mercies of God. And when they were overwhelmed, the environment of awe produced four things in this passage. Number one, it says they had, they were all together. In other words, they had a common purpose and theme that ran through their life. And the common purpose and theme was Christ and Him crucified, the Messiah who died on the cross for our sins, through whom there is forgiveness of sins, the resurrected Christ who's sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. There was a common theme and purpose. In his wonderful book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis talks about friendship, and he says that friendship must be about something. There's got to be a common denominator that people who go around looking for friends never really find true friends. The friendship is about a common link. Lewis says tongue-in-cheek, even if it's white mice or dominoes, it's got to be about something. And you step back and say, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, So we are together in that. We worship the risen Christ, crucified for our sins, the reigning Christ who's coming again. The second thing says this, they were people who had the the stranglehold of materialism was broken in their life. Stuff didn't have the importance it had before they met Jesus. They they were giving. They were selling their possessions and, and giving to those who had need. Thirdly, they were worshipers. They went from house to house worshiping God with glad and sincere hearts or glad and generous hearts. And fourthly, they found favor with all kinds of people. The the people around them said, I I, I see the love. I see the care for the poor. I see the way they they care for one another. I, I see the fact that they're not consumed with themselves. I like what I see. So the watching world stood back and, and they say, we see what's going on here. And quite frankly, we're impressed. And so 
I started last week with the question, what, or two weeks ago, what feeds this life of awe? Four things are mentioned. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, or worship, and prayer. And those four issues, if they're held in balance, if they're part of our lives, they produce a, a balanced, Christ-honoring, glorifying church or individual. The apostles' teaching, they gave themselves to the study of the Bible, to the fellowship, to worship, and to prayer. So this morning, I'm going to cover this issue of fellowship. And here's my thesis. Fellowship or relationships, which are word-centered and spirit-empowered, i.e., we deal with our sin, we deal with our issues, they're spirit-empowered, and they're Christ-centered, are a primary means, one of God's chief means, of building Christ in my heart and changing me. Relationships in the body of Christ. Fellowship that's word-centered, saturated, Holy Spirit-empowered, and Christ-saturated, that is one of the primary means by which God builds awe in my heart and changes me. There's a wonderful book on fellowship called The Compelling Community, and here's a quote. It says, we may cultivate fellowship, we may feed it, we may protect it and use it, but we dare not pretend to create it. The only person that builds true fellowship is the reality of Christ in our lives. You can't create it. You, you can't have a, a fellowship program that builds fellowship. You've got to major on the glory and the goodness of Christ. That's, that's why I say it's got to be word-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered, and Christ-centered. And it changes us. There was an article in the New York Times last February by a guy named David Brooks who's a guy that I, a current writer I like very much. He wrote Bobos in Paradise and uh, the, the Road to Character. But he starts off his article in the New York Times on three, it's titled Three Views of Marriage. And he talks about a study conducted at Northwestern University in Chicago over a two-year period by a professor of psychology there. And he said this, he said, the best marriages in our country today are better than the best marriages of generations ago. The worst marriages now are worse overall than the average marriage were a few years ago, and, and the average marriage is weaker than the average marriage in days of yours. So good report, bad report. And it says this, while some people spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time working on their marriage and reaping the benefits of it, most people spend less and less time and the thing slowly decays, unravels. Then he talks about the three views of marriage. One is the psychological lens, and he quotes a book by a man named Ty Tashiro, who wrote the book entitled The Science of Happily Ever After, and he gave this advice, when you marry, marry someone who's agreeable to you and who lives harmoniously. Someone who's good at empathy or they're nice. You want to avoid people, number three, who are neurotic. Somebody's saying, too late, already done that. Neurotic means they're chronically anxious. Number four, he says, he says don't, don't think that negative traits will change over time. They're there. Don't focus on irrelevant factors like good looks, close quote. 
And then he talks about the romantic lens, and he talks about the moral or the spiritual lens. And he says the best book on that that he's read is The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Another sermon altogether, but it's a great book. But he says this. Lens number one, the psychological lens emphasizes that people don't change much over time, especially after the age of 30. People may get more conscientious and agreeable, but improvements are modest and change is rare. Listen, I just reject that. Now, the Holy Spirit changes us. He doesn't make a huge character shift, but he takes our individual character and our background, and, and, and he fashions us into the likeness of Christ. The Holy Spirit is about changing us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. It talks about the coming of Christ, and, and it says that, that verse 16, that but when one turns to the Lord Christ, the veil is removed. You see clearly. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Hear that? Change. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So what I'm saying is that, that fellowship or relationships which are word-centered and spirit-saturated and Christ-centered are a God-appointed means of building awe in my heart and growing me in the Lord. Now, my purpose this morning, this is called Linkfest, and this just kind of happened to coincide, but my purpose this morning is to encourage you, to compel you, to exhort you to be in a small group that is word-centered, spirit-empowered, and Christ-centered, helping you understand that is one of God's primary means of changing you and building awe in your heart. See, the, the book of Hebrews is written about, about, to a group of people in the early church, and the problem that they were facing is, is found in chapter 2, verse 1. that says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And he says that the people in, in, in the book of Hebrews, many of them, young Christians, first century church, they were drifting. The pressures, the social marginalization, they were just drifting away. And the question is, how do we keep people from drifting away? Well, out of the blocks. In chapter 1, verse 1 and following, he says that the Son is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And the Son upholds the universe by his majestic power, and he has made purification of sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he says, the Son is God in the flesh. The Son is the exact representation of the Father. The Son has made purification of sins, and the Son is our mediator sitting at the right hand of God. The Son, Jesus. So, so the answer to the whole book, the whole book, this question, how do we not drift, is you concentrate on the glory and majesty of Christ. You go to chapter 2. Verse 14, it says, since then the children share in flesh and blood. He, Jesus, took on the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free us from our fear of death. The, the book of Hebrews says that, that there's no fear of death. The aging process is difficult, but the, but the fear of the unknown is taken away because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, so how... how 
how do you not drift? You major on the greatness of Christ who defeated the devil on the cross. How do you not drift? Chapter 4, verse 12, or verse 14, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. His name is Jesus. So let's hold our confession of faith, for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. How do you not drift? You remember that Jesus is the ultimate and final high priest who's gone to heaven who tore the curtain from the Holy of Holies from top to bottom. We have ongoing access to the throne room of the triune God because he's our mediator and he's our king. And so we come boldly before God. That's how you don't drift. How do you not drift? Chapter 9, verse 15 says this, Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. How, how do you not drift? You understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And the sins of the Old Testament saints who look to the sacrificial system are covered by the blood of Jesus. That's how you don't drift. See, it's all about Christ. In chapter 10, verse 19, how do you not drift? Therefore, I love the therefores. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near we don't draw near because of us. We draw near because we're in Christ. If we drew near to the living God because of us, we would die. We draw near because of Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us hold the confession of our hope without wavering for he who is promised is faithful. He's faithful. And then you didn't get to this part. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another day after day. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's very simple. So based upon the greatness of Christ, you speak in one another's life. Now, a few years ago, we had a... A wild game. We have a wild game banquet every year, but a few years ago we had a speaker named Clyde Christensen who spoke to us. Clyde Christensen at that time was the offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. And at that time, there was a man named Peyton Manning playing for the Colts. And Clyde Christensen had coached Peyton Manning the first 10 years of Peyton Manning's pro football career, which would be a pretty good job, if you know what I mean. And so he spoke, but he, he, he stood up here on the stage and he said, let me give you an example of what Peyton Manning does. He says, this is a few years later when he's a Bronco. He says, Peyton Manning will be over center and he'll see the defensive alignment change as they come to the line of scrimmage. And so he will say something like this, 45 Winchester, 45, 
X blue, Y gold, R red. That's the different positions of the white out, the slot bag. This guy, the tight end. You run that position. Uh, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. Des Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines. You know, Tampa, 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 whatever, you know. And, and, and so he goes through all these checks. He says there are multiple checks in everything. That's why he screams with all of his might. And he calls totally new plays in the line of scrimmage. I thought, wow. You've got to be smart to be an NFL quarterback. You really do. But then I thought about the thrilling days of yesteryear. Let's go back to 1967, 1968. There was a team called the Green Bay Packers. Some of us remember it. Coached by a guy named Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi had several slogans. One of them was minimum deception but maximum effort. And the Green Bay Packers had power right and power left. This is power right. No, don't take it off. Don't take it off. Put it back up there. There you go. So power right, this guy named Bart Starr gets the football. And this, in this particular play, he tosses it to a guy named Jim Taylor, who was an All-American at Louisiana State University. Six feet, 230 pounds, fast muscle. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame today. And there's this guy named Fuzzy Thurston, all pro who would pull out, and then a guy named Jerry Kramer pull out, two big dudes. The tight end would hook the outside linebacker defensive end, and these guys would just knock down whoever's in their path, and Jim Taylor would run like crazy. You can get it off now. And it was called power. They did check off at the line. They said, on the third hut, snap the ball. There was no check off. It was student body right, student body left. And I thought, you know, a lot of time in life, we're, we're trying to make things like Peyton Manning, which is fine, but really we can make it like student body right and student body left. And this whole issue of fellowship is really pretty simple, according to Hebrews chapter 10. You, you do two, several things. Number one, you consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, and you don't neglect to meet with each other. That's it, four points, four points. You consider. See, see, consider means that you turn over in your mind and you thoughtfully think through. Consider presupposes a knowledge about the people you're trying to build up. When you consider how to stir up or to build people up, you, you know something about them. And then you consider how to stir up. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And I, I've been around people who, who they use the word stir up, unlike the rite of Hebrews. They say, man, I am stirred up. They're ready to pop somebody. I'm stirred up. Well, that, that, it means to be emotionally heightened, but emotionally heightened to pursue good things and to go forward together, to have joy and thanksgiving and stout-heartedness. So, so we're, we're to consider, presuppose a knowledge, how to stir up or heighten our joy or thanksgiving or pursuit of the Lord. Now, there's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and, and Bonhoeffer Said, said, said this in a little book called Life Together. More about that in a few minutes. But Bonhoeffer said this, God has put the word of Jesus Christ into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother. 
in the mouth of man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. That's very simple. I, I love this church, and I love you people, and I really enjoy preaching. I enjoy studying and putting these things together and going over it. But, but I, to be bluntly honest, the, the, the purpose of the sermon, in my opinion, is to inform, but it's to hold a standard. It's to say, we're people of the book. We're people of the book. Here's the standard. And it is to stir you up. But, but if this is the only thing you get during the week, you're not going to survive the way you should be surviving. You need relationships with brothers and sisters who speak the word by precept and speech into your life. So you consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You see, we, we want to do love and good works. We want to love people and forgive people and be merciful and care for those who are destitute and live out the reality of Christ and preach Jesus in everything that we do. So, so we, we consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And this was written about 55 to 70 A.D. And I, I never tire of giving an example. My favorite Puritan from the, or favorite preacher in the 19th century was a guy named Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon preached a sermon in the 1880s, and he says something is going to be produced that is a mass production that will be available to many, many, many people, and it will lead to the ability to go places where people have great anonymity and freedom and maybe places where they should not go, and it will take them from the Lord's house on the Lord's day, and it will not be good for the church. And he was talking about the... Bicycle. The bicycle. And I thought, boy, if Spurgeon ministered today, he would die. His gout would just jump up five notches. And I, listen, don't neglect the Lord's day. Don't neglect to be in a, with a group of people who will speak and love and care for you. Consistency. You're in a community group, you miss it two weeks, you hit the third because you're, say, you're one, once a month. You can't build fellowship that way. Listen to me. I, there are seasons of life. There are people here who, are, who have teenage kids and they're playing sports. And, you know, I loved living vicariously through my kids and their sports. And I loved football and track and kind of sort of volleyball. I loved it. And I, I love my kids, and, and that's a season of life, and it's, it's gone. It goes quickly. I understand that. But if you find yourself busy with sports all these nights, find a group somewhere where you can plug in regularly. We have man-to-man -man at 6.20 on Friday morning. I don't know of any sports team that plays at 6.20 in the morning. So every man here is without excuse. I'm serious. Find a group. Women meet at all times, all times. Have a community group that meets at 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't care. But get in a group. So, barriers. Barriers to community. This is, this is really wanna, where I want to camp out for a while. Listen, number one is lack of consistency. Just covered that. Done. Number two, I am unaware of the desperate need to be stirred up in my life. Again, this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
Bonhoeffer was, uh, uh, as a young man, he died at age 39 in 1945. He was executed by the Nazis weeks before Germany was liberated. Bonhoeffer was a, a wonderful man early in his life. I mean, the eight, 1935, 34, he was 29 and 30. He saw what the Nazis were going to be doing. And so he was, came out publicly to say, we cannot stand for what the Nazis are about to do. And he basically had to leave his country for a while, and he had freedom and flexibility and notoriety, but he went back to Germany to share in the pain that was coming to his countrymen. And so in 1938, in November, the Nazis carried out something called Kristallnacht. That was the first major persecution of the Jews. They destroyed businesses. They burned synagogues. They took 30,000 of the leading Jews of Germany and put them in concentration camps. 1938. They took guys like Bonhoeffer and they said, you've got to, you've got to sign a form saying you're going to be part of the Confessing Church. The Confessing Church got rid, got rid of the cross and put the swastika. And Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth said, no way. And so they, had, they kicked Bonhoeffer out of his seminary. He established an underground seminary that met in the forest with a group of men. And he wrote a book entitled Life Together, published in 1939, just a few months before Germany invaded Poland, began World War II. And what he said is, he says, because of the slippage of our culture into paganism, he said, under the Nazi boot, the jackboot of Nazism, we have to hang together. We've got to be together. We've got to experience life together. And I think Life Together may be the best book I've ever read on community. He said it's centered around Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not comparing us to Nazi Germany in 1939. Please do not understand, but let me say this. We are entertaining and embracing, to a degree, things today that we would never have dreamed of embracing 10 years ago. And it's slowly, slowly, slowly happening. And, and so for us to be the salt and the light, for us not to lose our saltiness, for us to be the light of the world, we have got to be together. There was a time years ago when there was a general Christian consensus kind of sort of in our culture where you couldn't trumpet adultery with pride, where you couldn't trumpet perversity with a sense of social applause. It was... Flannery O'Connor, the great writer from Millersville, Georgia, called the, the South the Christ-haunted South. And that, that there was a, a Christian veneer that haunted people, so it blessed them, but it was there. People understood it. No more. And what I'm saying to you, if you're not involved in small groups where the Bible is central and the Holy Spirit is empowering you and Christ is magnified, you're missing out on a chief means of God building you up. You need to be in a small group. I'm just pleading with you as your pastor. Get in a group. Number three, one reason we don't have, we don't go into this, another barrier is we are bamboozled or fooled by the inaccurate views of the brilliance and ease of others around us. This happened in the Olympics. This is a 200 qualifying meet, a guy named Bolt from Jamaica and Degrassi from Canada. This is the qualifying meet, not the final deal. You just qualify for the finals. So these guys, I watched this. They were running the 200 meters, and with about 15 meters to go, 
Bolt, if you see here, Bolt and Degrassi started looking at each other and kind of laughing and pointing like, hey, good to see you, man. Good to run with you. And they kind of cut it back. And then this photograph, I thought, here's a poor guy running behind them from Bahran. I, I'm kind of trying to blow his picture up a little bit here. I mean, this guy's struggling. He's running with every fiber. I, I, I ran sprints in high school. I've been that dude. Okay, I've been him. You're struggling with every bit. Of, you're, you're breathing. You're, and you look in front of you. These guys are, eh, maybe. <laughs> seeing the finals. Seeing the, and they won the gold and the silver. They did. No big deal. See, this is, this is the way we look at life. We think, I'm from Bahran. And everybody around me is Bolt. They're just sliding through life, man. Life is a picnic. See, see that is a lie from the pit of hell. There's no marriage in this church that's perfect. That doesn't need daily grace. There's no parenting in this church that's perfect. There's no relation. There's no work that's always free and easy and ongoing. People struggle with anger and lust and covetousness, and they need the Holy Spirit, and I need my brothers to speak to me. If you join a group, you will not be Mr. Baron with a bunch of boats. You're going to be with a bunch of people who are sinners and who need grace. So don't buy the lie. I think that's one of the chief lies of the devil. Life is hard. So last weekend, this is what happened. Last weekend on Friday, we closed our schools because on Thursday they said there was going to be a storm come through. And Thursday was a pretty nice day, and I thought, good grief. Well, Friday came, and there were some huge winds. And people who had to travel, some of them, said the visibility was to the front of their car. And you rode around afterwards, and their trees had been blown over, and there was a lot of stuff in our yard, and... It was kind of scary at times. We lost our electricity for about three hours, and it was a rough t- Friday. Fr- fr- and the t- toughest part of the storm was from 3 to 6 Friday afternoon. Friday morning, 8 o'clock, it's 80 degrees. There's not a blade of glass stir- stirring. There are birds singing, the sun's shining, and, you know, John Denver's being piped up from the skies. I mean, it's perfect. Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday. I thought, that's life. Some of you are in the Friday of life. There are storms. It's tough. It's hard to get up. It's hard to put forth effort. You feel like you're understood, misunderstood. It's just hard. Here's the good news. Jesus said that if you build your life upon his word and his character, that when the rains come down and when the storms blow and when the winds beat against the house, it'll stand strong. Listen, what Jesus is saying is Saturday is coming. You get it? You're in Friday, but Saturday's coming. That's the good news. Let me tell you the bad news. Some of you are in Saturday. It's good. Man, kids are doing good. Life is good. Grades are good. In fact, you invested in a small little geotechnical firm doing oil exploration in southwest Texas. And they went to an area of Texas, true story. And they said, there's no oil here. They drilled and they hit a reserve. It's going to pump out 10 billion barrels of oil in southwest Texas. And your stock just went 100-fold through the roof. 
wish I'd done that. Anyway, true story. It's Saturday. You know what? Friday's coming. It is. We live in a fallen world. Ups and downs, goods and outs, health and not health. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a man named St. Francis of Assisi who was a guy who started the Franciscan Order, died in 1226 at the age of 44. But he wrote a hymn that we know very well entitled, All Creatures of Our God and King. Now, Francis, St. Francis loved creation, loved animals. He was kind of the Dr. Doodle of the Middle Ages. All kind of wild stories about Francis. I'm not really sure it's true, but there's, there's some wild stories about him. But he wrote this hymn, and let me just read a couple of stanzas. He says, All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing Alleluia. Thou, thou burning sun which with golden beams, thou rising moon with softer gleams, oh, praise him. He says, Love, look at the sun and the moon and the, the softer gleams. It's beautiful. He says, Thou rushing wind that art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heaven along, oh, praise him. Thou morning, rising morn and praise rejoice, ye lights of evening find a voice. He says, I'm sitting here in Italy and I'm looking over the Italian valleys and it's beautiful. Then he gets to this stanza. Listen to this. I love this. This shows me he's biblical. He says, and all you men of tender heart, forgiving others take your part. Oh, sing ye, alleluia. Ye who long pain and sorrow bear, praise God and on him cast your care. So he's, he's glorying in creation. He says it's beautiful. It's fantastic. It bowls him over. Then he says, but listen to me. Oh, you men of tender heart, forgiving others. You've got to forgive because relationships get broken. You're broken. Forgiving others, take your part. You who long pain and sorrow bear. That's life. It's battles and blessings. We will bear sorrow and pain, and we need brothers and sisters to help us along. I need the body of Christ. I need relationships to tell me if it's Friday, Saturday's coming. Or to tell me if it's Saturday, gird up the loins of your mind, because Friday's coming. The fourth barrier, very quickly, is that we are we forget the basic nature of life. We forget that life is lived out in a fallen world and glory is awaiting us. We have battles and blessings. In Genesis 3, the Lord looks at Adam and Eve and says, because you've sinned, there's going to be a result of that sin. In part, you will labor and you'll sweat and you'll struggle at times in your labor. Because of sin, Eve, women will give childbirth and it will be painful. I've never met a woman who said, you know, I had a baby last week. It was a blast. My husband feed me ice chips. He's never fed me ice chips before. Touching my brow, had people came and came and gave me a manicure and then they just said push. I pushed a couple of times and it was just, it was wonderful. No. It's, even with epidurals, even with ice chips soaked in drugs, it's tough. See, so for, for example, last week, Labor Day was a metaphor of living in a fallen world in my life. Tell what happened. So remember, last Monday was beautiful. It was a beautiful day. Oh, so it was a wonderful day. Wonderful day. So or, midday, my son come, son-in-law came in and said, I think there's some water gathering in the yard. I said, oh, I'll look after it later. No big deal. I'm having too much fun to do that. Late in the afternoon, I go out there, and the sewage pipe has busted. Yeah. So I'm 
digging down three feet, digging around the pipe. I have no giftedness in this area. And I'm trying to see what's going on, and then I, I bail it out. And it's just sewage pipe. And, and I've got a neighbor who's very kind and gifted in this area. So he comes over and says, oh, here's what you need. And he tells me what I need. The only thing open at this time of the day is, is, is Lowe's, and it's 20 miles away and, or 20 minutes away. So I get in the car, and I run to Lowe's all my might. want to get it done and get back in time to watch Florida State and Mississippi play football. And, and so I, I, I get there, and this guy's there, and he says, oh, yeah, we've got this pipe. I've got a picture of what I need. Some, send me a text. He said, we've got to try it over here. And he, he looks about five and says, well, I don't see it. Let me go in the inventory. He says, inventory, there's, there's three of them here, but I can't find them. I said, okay. So I'll give you something else that works just as good. In fact, it's better. I said, this is great. So he gives it to me. I get it. I go back, give it to my buddy who's my neighbor, who's, who's encouraging, you know, good, good man. And he says, it won't work. He says, we'll get it done tomorrow. Just be careful about using the restroom because it's going to overflow. I'm going, oh, great. So, you know, here, beautiful day, broken sewer pipe. And then my friend says to me, he says, don't, really don't worry about it. When all this is said and done, the grass around this place will be very green. <laughs> so up to that point, I thought, man, he's really, and then I thought, you turkey, you know. <laughs> and the next day I bailed it out again and fixed it. But it and I thought, this is a metaphor for life. You know, it's a beautiful day. Boom. But you know, that's why we need the body of Christ. Listen, get in a relational group where the Bible is central, where the Holy Spirit empowers the people, and where Christ is magnified because it's a means of grace in your life. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the day you've given us and for the mercy of the cross, the forgiveness of sins, and the hope of heaven. And uh, thank you for, in my life, thank you that you have continuously spoken the reality of Christ time after time after time after time through dear people. And uh, I, I am, for, for, for the man I am today, minimally the man I am today, I am in large part because people who love Jesus spoke Jesus into my life. So thank you for that. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.